Hi, my name is Roy Collin and welcome to the show. I've also got five podcasts, The Awakening Podcast, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, but with solutions, the crypto podcast talking about all things blockchain, NFTs, crypto, the meditation podcast talking about all different types of meditation, but there's also meditations there from one minute to two hours. And the other one's the Learn Polish podcast. So if you're interested in learning Polish, you can do that. And the other one is speaking with Roy Collin, and I just have guests from around the world talking about either public speaking or also about their book or just general life in general. And you find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. I'm also a podcasting coach. And you see the QR code there, and it's also on my link as well. And if you're interested in actually going on some podcast shows, I'm helping people doing that. Or if you're interested in sponsorship, you can contact me. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, DanielPacker.com. He helps people with anxiety, stress, and addictions. He's got a 90% success rate, and you only pay for successful. So be sure to check him out, DanielPacker.com. I hope you enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on SpeakingPodcast.com. My guest, consultant, international speaker, podcaster, and podcasting from a, a 2014, I believe, but we'll go into that in detail. He's helping consultants and coaches generate more quality leads. He's based in Finland. Please welcome Jan Ulange. Ulange. I, I know I, I asked prior to it, but I'm not doing it justice. Please welcome Jan. You might say your name properly. <laughs> yes, it's Ilunga, but I don't mind. I know it's a difficult last name. I'm excited to be here. And I have to say, I'm excited to be talking to somebody that like me has been a very busy podcaster because I know you are hosting several shows. I've done that as well. So I'm excited to be here on the speaking podcast with you. Brilliant, brilliant. And it's actually rare because you know a lot of people they do one, but I think you had about four or five because I know that we spoke before because I think it was Mike that had introduced us, but something like four or five that you had done yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, every time I've launched a podcast, I've always had a very specific and strategic purpose for it. And some of the shows kind of ran their course. So I felt that, okay, I don't need the podcast to achieve that goal anymore. So it's time to to move on to something else. So you're correct. I've had a few different shows over the years, also focusing on different podcasts or sorry, on different topics, business, podcasting. And I'm just curious because, I mean, I know you're big in the podcasting field and obviously I'm doing the coaching as well. And I I love this topic and I know you do as well because you've done so much. (laughs) You've done a load of different things. And what I like, I think like the speaking podcast as well. I mean, it's kind of running its course as well. It's something that I think that it's got to a stage. But what I find is there's a lot of people coming on with either books or just wants telling me about what they're doing, whether it's what you're doing. And it's it's very interesting. And I don't need to be talking about speaking as such. And I have seen a few people, what they do is they just change the name, but keep it because like I saw some of yours, some of yours have been in the top as well. And I mean, this has got to the top half percent. And, you know, it's a lot easier to just kind of change over with the existing system then start again. And I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Yes, I agree with you 100%, especially if you already build an audience, then it makes sense to capitalize on that. Obviously, you want to let them know. It's not that one day somebody listens to an episode and the show is called A Certain Way. And then the following episode is like, okay, am I listening to the right show? Because I know the host is the right host, but the name is different. So you definitely want to help people with that transition. But I think so. I think it's important to actually be very strategic and have clarity on what you want to achieve through the podcast. And if you have a business, how you want the podcast to be an asset for the business. And the point you made, Roy, of the speaking podcast, I think it's also so that certain topics like speaking, for example, have so many different layers to them that there are there is quite the wide variety of topics that can be put into the speaking context, can be lead generation, using your voice, using your verbal or non-verbal cues, how to market yourself as a speaker, and many other other topics. So I think that it also depends a little bit on the topic the podcast revolves around. So if it's something that is very, very niche, and the niche is quite a closed niche, so to say, it may be a little bit harder to make it fit when you have a guest that wants to talk about their new book, if the book is not exactly into that field, but perhaps you interview somebody who has a book, let's say, on time management, and one can 
make that topic relevant by talking about time management for busy public speakers, for example. So I'd love to know your own journey. I mean, you started, or how did you get into the podcast? What was the very first one? And what was your kind of learning experience? Because I know there's a lot of people, even speakers, they're realizing, hey, I could be a podcaster or coaching. And they realize it's a good way of getting lead generation, which we'll obviously delve into later. But I'd just like to know your own kind of journey in the podcast world. Yeah, for sure. So as you said, I've been doing it since 2014, since April 30th of 2014. And I stumbled into podcasting while I was still at university. I was I always listened to music. And that one time, I wanted to have something in the background. So I just did a really random Google search. I couldn't even tell you what I looked for. But I found a podcast. It was the School of Greatness uh, with Lewis House. And the guest of that episode was actually Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. So I listened to podcasts for the very first time through that show. I really liked especially... Pat's content approach and style. So I started to listen to his show. I started to listen to some other shows. And I said to myself, oh, that's interesting because I had been thinking about doing my own thing for a while, but I wasn't still sure what that thing would be. And podcasts gave me the inspiration to say, okay, this is something I could probably do, but I didn't know anybody interesting. And then I said, actually, I do know. And these people from the music industry, because I... During my undergraduate or bachelor studies, depending on where you are in the world, I wrote a thesis that uh, was called The Internet as a Platform for Musicians. This was way before all the great platforms that are available for independent artists today. And there I interviewed a series of musicians. So I reached out to some of them, started to get yeses, and then it really snowballed into a wonderful journey that as today, I think probably close to 500 episodes because I've had different shows in different spaces. I've interviewed Grammy award-winning artists, New York Times bestselling authors, top entrepreneurs, academics, students, scientists. And because of the podcast, many opportunities came my way. I got to do some speaking here in Europe, in North America, and in Australia as well, which has been incredible. So I have so much to be thankful for to podcasting as a medium. And I saw, I'm not sure, was it on your LinkedIn, but you've kind of got awards because you were at an early stage. I mean, there was very few podcasting at that stage, but you, you've you done very well. Like you were recognized. And I don't know, was that the Forbes thing? You got, I know you've been featured in a lot of different things, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, Huffington Post, et cetera. Were they all yeah. related to the podcasting? Yeah. Yeah, basically, it's a funny story about the Forbes. I got mentioned on Forbes twice. The first time, funny anecdote, because the article was titled, I think, something like seven podcasting communities to join. And I saw a community by somebody I know listed there. The article was split in two pages. So I was only going through the first page. When I saw the community, I complimented the person on, on Facebook, I think he was, and then when I looked at the next page, I was like, oh, wow, I mentioned as well, because I used to have a Facebook community about podcasting called Podcast Growth Mastermind. And I'm using the past tense, unfortunately, because my Facebook account got hacked. So remember to always build community on ground where you have control over, because when that happened, I actually lost not only access to the profile, but also to the community and the group that actually took me years to build. And it was close to 5,000 people. So it was because of podcasting, uh, because of the community and the community supported the podcast and vice versa. So it, it, yeah, it's been an honor. And I think that, as I said earlier, I talked about opportunities. I think that there are so many things that have happened in my business and in my life that can be traced back to podcasting or podcast guesting. Sometimes the connection is really obvious. Sometimes it may be a connection where you need to look past a couple of, let's say, touch points or crossroads, but then they lead back to the podcast. They're like, oh, yeah, actually, it makes sense because I connected with that person who introduced me to that person that in turn introduced me to that person that organized an event, and I got to experience that. 
it's weird how it all comes together and even like say mike who introduced me you know it was lunch club but basically i had him on the show and everything and so many different things guests that i've had like you changed like your thought process as well because sometimes somebody will explain something and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to believe him straight away but you can just kind of go okay that's interesting and there's a lot of stuff that i have changed based on just having guests that i would never have met only for podcasting yeah, I think it's a very good point. Actually, I think it's an advice that they, any podcast host and all podcast guest should take to heart, which is not only focus on the content, for example, of a show you listen to or you watch, but also pay attention to the sort of performance of the people involved. How do they use their voice, their body language? How they, do they communicate if they have a call to action? First of all, do they have a call to action? If yes, what does that look like? How is that shared? I think that there is so much that can be learned and can help you then improve your skills as a host, as a guest, or as both. And just prior to recording, I was mentioned to you because you have your camera set straight ahead and it looks so more professional. <laughs> the way I do it is I have a tiny little screen, so slightly looking down, but not down, totally down, but it looks so much better. And I mean, I suppose like... I look back at my earlier recordings and I kind of cringe at the way I've done, but I suppose with your journey through the podcasting, like what thing, things did you kind of excel at and re realize, Ooh, just, I should, wish I had done this earlier because you know, we're constantly improving. So like when you started off to kind of, when you were at episode 400 or whatever, you, I mean, I, you've done over 400 or 500. So when you were get, kind of progressing, yeah, so definitely, for example, about the video, I'm actually standing. So as you said, my webcam is there, but if I were to look at my computer, I would need to look over there because my computer screen is, is way down there. So I think one thing that it's important to think about is how do you feel the most comfortable? I don't mind standing. I feel that, and my background is actually communication. So when I'm sitting, my posture is kind of limiting me. Whereas when I'm standing, my chest is open. I can use my arms. I actually come from a country, Switzerland, that is close to Italy. And culturally, we are known for using our hands quite a lot, <laughs> which is actually a very powerful tool, by the way, if you're a speaker or if you are part of a, of a video show. So the first thing I would say that I've really thought of and learned you know, during the years is to put myself in a position where I'm the most comfortable. So from a space point of view, is it about sitting? Is it about standing? And then try to make sure that my setup, for example, supports that. And one other thing that, I, that I've learned is that, especially when we start out, we are so obsessed over details, minor details. Okay, my microphone should be two millimeters lower, higher, closer, further away. The light should be there, should be this type of light. And all those things matter. But the most important thing is that you actually find a way to just get started. And I know that may sound cliche, but when you start, you record, then you have something that you can review and say, oh, okay, actually, now that I see myself there, it would have made more sense to have the microphone way up here. And then you're like, actually, no, not true, because then it would cover my face. Better to move it slightly lower, to the left, to the right, and those sort of things. So I think having a setup, a space that makes you be the most comfortable you can be, it's very important. For example, when it comes to the distance to the mic, if this conversation was strictly audio and nothing else, now we have the video, we can see each other, which is great. If it was only audio, I was probably be sitting more comfortable, also, the way I'm dressed, I may have dressed differently. That's something that it's something that I also consider. So the space, the overall presentation, it's something that it's very important, but it's important to really focus on what matters because how high or low my webcam should be definitely matters. But it's better to record a video, for example, with a non-ideal camera angle because then I have something to review versus obsessing over trying to find the, the best angle. So the space and the overall setup is something I've learned. And then another thing that I think is very important is to really 
make the most out of the content you create or you are part of, if like in my case, you're a guest. Because I think oftentimes we are so focused on creating content that we let it sit there. And if I think about it, about some shows that I've hosted in the past, some haven't been running for years. But if I go to check some of the stats, I'm sure I can still see that people are still listening to them because the topics are relevant. Something I could do if those podcasts still made sense for my business and what I'm focusing on, I could easily leverage that content. Perhaps it's repurposing. But I think oftentimes as podcasters, we are so focused on what's coming up next, the next episode, the next guest, the next recording, that we forget about everything we've done and we may have an extensive library of content. And oftentimes we just think, well, I'm going to tweet this episode once and we think that that's going to going to be seen by everybody who follow us because of course everybody is going to be on Twitter at the time of the day that you are posting right that's actually not going to happen so i think trying to really think about how i can leverage the content to the fullest of my capabilities is another important lesson that i've learned and i always try to work on and try to improve and i think trying to create a sort of framework for that can really help you so that you have a sort of checklist or blueprint that you can follow step by step without trying to having to remember everything. And, you know, like you, you mentioned about tweeting it out or whatever. And I think that's a fault a lot of podcasters make is they spend the time preparing, they do the interview, you know, some of them, they spend hours, even days editing it, they're being perfectionists, but they do zero marketing. They just do a tweet. They just put it out once. And unfortunately, you should put as much, if not more time into promoting it and like breaking it into the, the little snippets. Like we've got the shorts, the reels, you know, for like on YouTube and TikTok and all these different things. And they definitely help because, you know, I've been playing around with especially the Polish one and everything. And, you know, with YouTube, you keep it less than a minute. But on TikTok, because it's changed so many times, it was like 15 seconds and a minute. No, I think you could do as long as you want. But like the other thing is we need to be constantly kind of watching the social media. And I mean, we'll get into your marketing thing now, I suppose, because nothing is constant. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's important to really be familiar with the platform or platforms you're leveraging to get your message out there. And also with the audience, the community that you're building on there. So what are some of their habits? And I think it's also important to yourself, to your work, as well as in regards to guests, if you host an interview-based show, because I don't think it's fair toward you if you spend plenty of minutes, hours, days creating, working hard, first and foremost, and then create something that it's of value. And you just limit yourself to taking one step that takes you one minute to carry out, which is posting on social. Maybe you do that semi-automatically and you think that does it justice. It doesn't. So you can put the focus from there or you can focus on saying, I know this is something of value. I want to help people with this content. So I want to make sure that I share the message with different people in different forms because the way you share the message or the context you put it in is going to resonate with one person, but not with the other. And then if you change the context, the example, the style is not going to resonate with the first person, but it resonates with the second. So I think it's important that you're conscious of that. So it is about your messaging, your communicative style, your branding and all of those things. But it's also about keeping in mind that even though you may say, well, my show is for whatever the target audience is, those are people and not everybody consumes information in the same way. So I think it's key to keep that in mind, obviously, without feeling overwhelmed, because I think there is that trap of trying to please everybody and try to turn the episode into 500 different pieces of content. And then before you know it, you're like, okay, I hate this. <laughs> I just can't host another show because I'm burnout. You don't want to do that, obviously. And with the, I'd love to know your thoughts on say Facebook now, because there's some people who go into the different groups and even mm -hmm. I've got a page for all my different ones, you know, the Polish, the crypto, whatever. And I've only done it once. And it was because it was kind of something relevant that I put up. But some people are doing this every day at everyone or at highlight where they're basically 
And I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Is that something that should be done kind of weekly? Shouldn't be done at all? Or they're right what they're doing and it's just a case that it's a numbers game? Yes. I think it's important to remember that even though we're doing things online, we're dealing with people. And if you were invited to, a, let's say, a party, you probably wouldn't start to, you wouldn't go on stage, grab the mic from somebody's hand and just to tr- start shouting, hey guys, you should check out my latest episode. It's great for this and that reason. I think it doesn't make sense. What you can do is obviously if it's in line with the rules of, in this case, the Facebook group, what you can do is you can use a simple two-step approach. Let's say somebody asks a question and an episode you've published actually answers that or addresses that. What you could do is you could spend a minute to reply. You give them the appetizer. So you give them a short answer that is still valuable, but it doesn't take too much of your time. And then you say, by the way, if you want a deeper dive, I've actually covered that in last week's episode. Here's the link in case you're interested. Because by doing that, you're actually addressing somebody who, through their question, told you they're interested in the topic of that episode versus just shouting, basically, because that's what you do, to everybody hoping that somebody is going to gravitate toward you. Even if somebody does gravitate toward you, it's very unlikely that they're going to be impressed with that interaction. They may be impressed with the content, but the key is about having them be impressed because now with the two-step approach I was talking about, if you do a great job with step one, the person will definitely go and listen and they'll probably listen from start to finish. And they probably will come back to you and thank you and maybe listen to more episodes. But if you focus on, okay, hey guys, listen to my show. We we know how that works nowadays. So most people start to actually be repelling that immediately. So for me, when I get tagged in a group at everyone, I don't even go to check what the thing is, to be honest. 90% of the times that doesn't happen. I may check it from time to time, but if somebody were addressing me personally, then that's where my experience becomes unique. Because if you tag me at everyone, I just feel like one of many, like of one of 10, one of a hundred, one of a million. But if you, if you and I are having an exchange and you're telling me, hey, I think this could be helpful because it has a more detailed answer to your question, then I feel like, oh, wow, that's nice. He's actually caring for me. He's giving me a resource that can help me with this question. So my advice would rather than, I understand it may require a little bit more of your time, but you can easily carve that out. If you're very busy, you can say, okay, I'm going to spend five or 10 minutes in the morning, five or 10 minutes after or before lunch, do the same in the evening. So you're able to, engage with people in different time zones if you're part of a group that is international and you'll be able to have more of those valuable interactions because that's the difference between building a loyal audience following community versus okay trying to throwing something hoping that something sticks that typically doesn't go according to plan no i I totally agree and it's something that i've been doing like i've as i mentioned i've only done it once it was kind of relevant when i did do it and i see there's one crowd now and they're kind of they have a, a new podcast telling people how to grow their audience and they're doing that all the time. But if you go in and look at the listen score, it's like 25 or something like that, which is basically saying, hey, this isn't really working. And what I have done is I never outsource that. And I know some people do, but you never know from a comment how you should respond. And sometimes people think, ah, I'll just get somebody for five bucks an hour, 10 bucks, an hour, whatever it is. And they can just deal with all my social media. And I think... It's it's a dangerous tactic when you're not actually dealing. Yeah, as you say, set aside certain times. You don't want to be that you're at bet and call. But the reality is, like especially the Polish one. I mean, that's got millions of views. Like, and it's like I'll always come. I see the comments, and I go in at times. You see it. You see it at the side on the YouTube, and you respond. Mm-hmm. You just say thanks for listening, or if they say something or make a suggestion, and it seems to have worked. You know, it's like. So like, why, like, have you, I mean, you've obviously seen people that try to outsource that kind of thing as well, but they're not doing it themselves. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, I don't necessarily think is outsourcing is a, is an issue if it's done properly, meaning that the person actually needs to communicate in a style that gets 
as close as possible to your style of communicating. Because otherwise what may happen is there is a certain dynamic when you communicate over, let's say, Facebook. And then you hop on a call and the person feels like, oh, there is it, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect. So I think that's important. Obviously, when you're doing that directly, you don't have to worry about that. But I think it's important also to keep another thing in mind is that when there are people that just share their podcast a bit randomly, or there are groups that it's like, okay, hey, let's exchange reviews or listens. There are only people, most of the people there are not necessarily focused on quality. They are focused on, okay, let's exchange, let's have transactions. And if you want to build a following, if you want to have more than listeners, so if you want to have people, if you have a, a business, listeners can be great, but I'd rather have fewer listeners and more customers or people to collaborate with. And in order to get those people, it's about the quality of the connections, of the touch points, of the conversations. So if you're part of groups like that, let's exchange reviews, you can still be part of those groups, but remember that that's not where you're going to get actually your most loyal followers, listeners, watchers, viewers. And also if you're thinking about getting clients for your business, or if you want to collaborate with somebody, chances are you probably aren't going to find them in those places. And I think you actually do yourself damage by doing that as well, because if people yep. do come in, they play it for a minute or 30 seconds and then give the thumbs up or whatever kind of interaction they're supposed to. And then the algorithms kind of says they're not interested in this. And it actually hurts you than making it like, oh, I've got 50 likes or thumbs up or something like that. Yeah, and very true. So when with the organic then, because I mean, I've tried everything with different businesses over the years and yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd go and you pay the Facebook or you'd go and pay the Google, but then they turn off the organic tap, unfortunately, the way that they work a lot of the time. And so I always try to stick to organic as, as, as long as I can and love to know your thoughts on that one. Do you mean as a podcaster or uh, kind of in general? Any business, any business, whether it's for podcasting or whatever. Because I mean, like, even if you're promoting your business, I mean, a lot of times people want to do it organically. But what happens is then they kind of, they'll see the numbers not growing as much and it starts plateauing. Or they just decide, hey, let's put fuel on the fire. Let's pay a couple of hundred bucks a day or a month or whatever it is. And they get a, a bit of a boost. The tap turns off, then the organic is gone. There's no organic. And I've seen that happen a lot. And it shouldn't, but unfortunately, you're dealing with people that want to take your money. So, so that seems to be the way it works. And <laughs> is that your kind of experience as well? Yes, I will preface my comments by saying that I don't have anything against paid ads, Facebook, Google ads, whatever. But I have worked with people who basically have wasted their money because they didn't really know how to make that work for their business. So they ended up actually that mistake ended up costing them even thousands of dollars. And some people say, well, you shouldn't use organic because with paid ads, you can have predictability. After a certain time, you will know you put in $1, you make five and you can't do that with organic. And I actually disagree with that because if you know what your process looks like, it is possible to actually look at some numbers and have predictability. So for example, like in my case, calls with potential clients is the main tool I use to actually close the sale. So what I can do is I can reverse engineer the steps and look at what are the key KPIs, the key performance indicators. So for example, conversions is one. So how many people are interested, how many people become clients. So I can look at that number. Then I can look at the previous step is how many people actually accept my invitation to have a call and show up. Then I can look at the one before that. How many people do I engage with? I can look at the one before that. How many new people I connect with on a regular basis? So if I have a window of time that has good statistical relevance, I mean, if I do it for three days, it's not really going to work. But if I do it, let's say for 30 days, 90 days, and then I track that, I will know, okay, if I want to hit, if my average deal size is X and I want to reach this monetary goal for the next month, I will need to close this many deals, which means that I will need to talk with that number of people, which means I will need to invite 
this number of people, which means that I will need to have conversations with that number of people and so forth. So you can actually then have some numbers. And I have a resource, actually, a calculator that one can use to, to do that. So you can insert your numbers and the calculator will show you, for example, okay, this is how many connections or new connections you should make next month, how many appointment invites you should send, and how many deals you should close if you want to hit a sort of monetary goal. Now, in regards to the actual strategy, people often ask me, Jan, inbound, outbound lead generation. I personally think that you can't really have one without the other. I think that they support each other. Now, there are some pros and cons to both. Typically, I think that outbound is the one that you have more control over the outcome because it's more directly related to the effort you put in. Whereas inbound, it's something that is more long-term because with inbound is people coming to you and starting the conversation or joining the conversation. Whereas with outbound, it's you that go out to people and start a conversation. So with the latter, you have more control of how many people you contact, how many conversations you have and so forth. So my first suggestion when I work with clients is let's try to think about how you can leverage both, how you can build a system that it's easy for you to run and that incorporates both elements. One thing that it's also important to think in, to keep in mind is who you're trying to reach. And oftentimes I have clients go through a mindset shift, which is let's stop obsessing over getting new clients. We all want new clients, but when you obsess over that, what often happens is I'm having a call with Roy after two minutes, I realize you're not a good fit client-wise, so I start to tune out. I'm thinking, okay, I need to focus on the next call, the next prey, the next target. And that's not a really clever move because maybe you're not a good fit client-wise, but you know somebody who could, and you could easily make an introduction. And maybe your budget is five, their budget is 25. Maybe you have a community, we could do something collaborative in there, or you have a podcast like in the case now. And all of a sudden, I could be in front of dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of my ideal clients. But if I were to just basically burn the bridge because you don't seem like a good fit for my client or ideal client, I would potentially just throw those opportunities out of the window. So I invite you to stop obsessing over getting new clients and focus on generating opportunities for your business instead. When you focus on that, there are so many doors that are going to open, collaborations, Re referrals, introductions, and yes, some people are actually also going to be interested in hiring you. Maybe sometimes it's about you help somebody they introduce you to first, and then they come back to you. It's like, oh, such and such told me that the introduction was great. Now, can you help me with what they what you help them with? So you want to have clarity or have that in your head. And then the last point, sort of at the foundational level, we all know about your ideal clients and their the traits and you want to be specific and so forth. But something that it's also as important is to really focus on a particular problem you solve. Because sometimes certain problems, like in my case, for example, lead generation can be put in different contexts. So it can become relevant for an audience of speakers, an audience of authors, an audience of brick and mortar business owners, an audience of agency owners, you get the idea. So you don't want to stop at who is it that I'm focusing on, but you also want to think about what is it that I'm focusing on. So once you have all of those elements in place, it's about knowing where do I actually find those people to start the conversations with. And you see, I've used the term conversation a few times because for me, that's one of the key words, conversations. It's not about me shoving whatever it is that I'm selling in your face is actually about me having a conversation with you. And if everybody who's here with you and I, Roy, would have or would follow this simple two-step approach, they would see an increase in business opportunities. Just think like a doctor. What many of us do in person, but especially online, I meet you for two minutes and I start to try to sell you something. I know very little about you, what your pain points or challenges are. I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, I think Roy needs to buy this course because it's the best course I've ever created. But if I had the approach of a doctor, 
I wouldn't prescribe. First, I would diagnose. Think about it. When you go to the doctor's office, they ask you a few questions. They listen, listen, listen. So first, they diagnose, then they prescribe. But oftentimes, we feel like, okay, I, I my diagnose process was five seconds. Now I'm going to prescribe. Buy my course. Buy my book. Hire me to be your coach. No. Focus on diagnosing first, really having questions that are key. Listen, and then you will know what is the most appropriate product or services among the ones you offer that makes the most sense for this person and their problems. It's like if you go to the doctor and you say, oh, I have, I don't know, my finger hurts. If the doctor tells you, yeah, take an aspirin, you may be like, well, isn't aspirin more for a headache? And that's what happens online. And it drives me crazy when I see that because it also happens. Sometimes people try to do it with me. And it's a, it's an easy way to burn a valuable connection because if they had focused on having a conversation and really try to diagnose first, they may have realized that, oh, actually this person could be, for example, a great source of referrals. Instead, they're just focusing on wanting to prescribe, prescribe, prescribe without even knowing what is actually that would be the best for me in the first place. No, that's uh, that's fantastic advice. And like with, say, LinkedIn, especially the amount of people that connect. And I mean, sometimes you don't know they're following your podcast or how they got, but you just accept it. And the amount of times that people are even Facebook, they're just blasting. This is what I'm doing. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I didn't even go into your shop and you're selling me. And, you know, you were talking about the, like the coaching calls. There was one that I was doing and the guy was actually helping like consultants, coaches and he he organized like a course first, which was decent, decent value. Then it was like a one-on-one -on -one call. It wasn't him. It was like his team. And he was giving an hour. And he said, look, there's no hard sale. You get an hour. So I had a lot of questions and everything. The start of the call, your man is like saying, yeah, this is 30 grand. Are you, are you ready to invest 30 grand in this? And I was like, no, I said straight out 30 grand. It's a lot of money. And it was like, I, I got less than 10 minutes. And I just thought like shame on them for, telling you something that they were going to offer and then disappearing. And like with myself, there's times I talk to people, I know they don't have the money, they're just saying, and I'll send them, I go, look, I've got a, a, a webinar and you get a lot of stuff from that and everything. But then they'll come back and it's weird. Like I said, it's just people go mm -hmm. through kind of moments in life that they know they, they just have times or whatever it is, or they'll yeah. tell somebody else. And I'm sure it's happened with you. And then a couple of months later, maybe even a year later, same with property. There's been times, even with a newsletter, people come back two years later and just say, it just wasn't the right time for me. And then they'd invest. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's like, it's just giving people respect. And, you know, you don't, it's not as if you're going to give two hours or something like that. I mean, if you're saying a 15 minute discovery, you know, kind of, you know, that you're not giving hours away. But I think people appreciate that you genuinely want to help and you're giving value and you're not trying to suck the money out of them and go, you know, as you say, turn off. I've seen it happen so many times. And I think anyone that's because most of the speakers and there's a lot of speakers listen to this, coaches, whatever they're doing, there's a load of them doing the discovery calls. And I'd say a lot of them are actually guilty of what we've just said. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure of it as well, because I experience that quite often. And I think the sad part is that there are certain pieces of information that you want actually be able to detect, for example, from somebody's online presence, or they're going to be quite hard to detect unless you talk with them. I'll give you a practical example. I've worked with people who just prefer to have hand-holding. They don't have time for going through a course, none of that. They really want to, okay, let's do a deep dive, intensive work. Let's immerse ourselves for a few days, few weeks, work shoulder to shoulder, and then off they go. Other people are the opposite. They say, I prefer to learn by doing. I want to do things myself. But un unless I talk with the person, I won't know what is their preference. How do they prefer to learn? How do they prefer to work? And when you just try to push whatever it is that you're selling, you can potentially burn bridges. And I'll make a very quick example. If I take myself as an example, I think you probably experienced this too, Roy. I get pitched so often by podcast launch coaches. They contact me, you know, I help people launch their podcast. I've been doing this for a year and a half. And in my head, I'm like, well, great. I've been doing that for almost 10 years. So 
you see that you're building a dynamic here that doesn't really sit well with me. And it's actually a pretty stupid move because if that person had taken the time to research me just a little bit or have a quick conversation with me, they would have realized, okay, he's definitely not a person that is going to be interested in getting my help in launching a podcast because he has been doing the seven, eight, 10 X more time than I have. But because he has set up community with people interested in podcasting, maybe we can find a way to collaborate. So then over, all of a sudden they can piggyback on my community and, and get people interested in whatever program or course they have. But people are so focused on, okay, I need to talk with how many people as possible. I need to push my agenda without realizing that sometimes you don't know who you're talking to and you don't know what their network looks like. So think about opportunities instead of obsess over clients and you're going to start to see a shift in how things go for the better. And like when you're kind of trying to build the organic and like sometimes people, they put a post out. Is there any kind of ratio that seems to work? Because sometimes people say, put out 10 posts and one then is your pitch. Or is it a case of if it's relevant, it doesn't matter once it's in your group because they kind of know what you're doing anyway. Do you mean Roy for a Facebook group or a particular platform or like, like even your own even your own social media? Like if you're trying to get leads, just say like for your own thing, or if you're trying to get leads and it's on your like say, because I mean you'd have thousands on LinkedIn and even Facebook, whatever. That you know, sometimes people they're just constantly putting out stuff like, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and there's others that are sharing a load of stuff. And in a little pitch, it's kind of a one in ten ratio is what people are saying. And we're just wondering what you find is uh serves best. I think it kind of depends. I mean, it depends on the audience. It depends on a, on a wide variety of factors. But it's also important to remember that when you offer a next step to people, there are different ways or different, yeah, different ways through which that next step looks like. Sometimes it may be to send you a DM. Sometimes maybe to leave a comment. Sometimes it may be to fill out a form, to hop on a call with you. So oftentimes we tend to put all of those call to actions in the same bucket. And we don't realize that they require a different level of involvement and investment, especially from a time standpoint, both for us, but especially for the people we would want to take that action. So I think that it's not so much about how many you include or not, but it's more about what is the next step that makes the most sense for somebody who's interested in what I've just shared. So if it's a written article, somebody reads that, what is the next step that makes the most sense. Sometimes it may be mentioning or linking to a particular course you sell or a book. Sometimes it may be something a little bit lighter, like, hey, okay, let's say we are on LinkedIn, say, I'm really active on Instagram. If you don't follow me there, let's change that and do it now. Another time it could be you share a case study and you can say, do you want to change your business? Like I've helped John change and grow his. DM me the word growth and let's talk. So you see the level of involvement, for example, with the last example, now I'm asking somebody to actually give me their time versus the previous example, which was, okay, you pull up your Instagram account, you follow me, you tap the button and that's it. So I think that more than focusing on, okay, I need to post 10 times, I should include three calls to action or not. Think about the next step. What is the next step you want people to take? And sometimes it may be, okay, you want them to do something. You gave them inspiration, you want them to do something. Some other time, that something is, okay, they, you want them to contact you. You want them to hop on a call with you. You want them to follow you, to listen to a particular episode, to subscribe to your show, to subscribe to your YouTube channel. So I would focus on that because then when you're able to have a nice variety in your posts, people aren't going to be worried about that too much. It's not going to putting them off because they're going to see that as a next step that makes sense. If you tell me, DM me the word growth, let's connect. If I don't want to connect, that's not going to bother me. And it's not going to affect negatively the experience I had in reading your article. On the other hand, if it's all, always the same call to action, copy and paste it after a while, that becomes annoying. So focus on what is the next step that makes the most sense, number one. And number two, think about how much effort does that require 
from a prospect? Are you asking them for 30 seconds of their time or for 30 minutes of their time? Because those are two very different asks. And oftentimes we just think that, okay, those are the same and it's actually not the case. And finally, because I mean, we both have experience. I mean, I've been on shows as well. And obviously with all your podcasts, you've had a lot of guests. And I know like podcasting, being a guest is a fantastic way of actually lead generation or promoting your book, whatever it is that it's doing. But there's people that do it right. And there's people that do it wrong. I mean, I'm helping right. people now and I get them on the shows and I advise them how to do it. But I just like to know what way you kind of advise people. Because some people, they just turn up and they just, they're gone straight away. And I mean, it's probably happened to you as well. There's, there's some people, just as you're ending it, they're gone. They don't even engage the conversation. And there's, there's nothing or even preparation. Like I've been on shows, people ask me as I come on, and what do we say we talk about? So even for the host at times can be even bad, like the way they do it. But for, for the guest that, that's thinking of actually doing getting on a few shows, what kind of tips would you give them? Yeah, I think it's key. Well, first of all, is to have clarity on what is it that you want to achieve. Because if you want to focus on, for example, building strategic partnerships, then you want to make sure that you really focus on being interviewed for podcasts where you get the feeling that the host is somebody you would want to work with long-term, to collaborate on something. Perhaps you want to do more speaking. So what you could do is you could focus on podcasts that are hosted by people or companies that organize in-person events or virtual events if you want to do speaking at virtual summits. You want to always think about not only, okay, I want to be in front of an audience of blank, but you also want to think about the host because the host is the person that is the gatekeeper of trust with the audience. And he's the person that you're going to engage with the most. And the, the mistake you pointed out, Roy, whenever I hear about it, I put the my hand, <laughs> my hands in my, in my head because it's so crazy. Sometimes just sticking around for one extra minute or two extra minutes can really open so many doors because if things went well, the content was good, there was chemistry, the host is, or the guest also, because both are guilty sometimes of that mistake, are more likely to be engaged and to be curious to hear more about what you have to say. So you want to have clarity. Then you want to think about what is it that you're going to cover. And you want to try to make that as podcasts or packaged for podcasts as much as possible. How do you do that? You can think about, is there a certain process you share that can be packaged into, a, let's say, five-step process, three-step process, two-step formula, and things like that. So when somebody listens, if it's a three-step process and you're sharing the second step, they know where they were with step one, they know where they are with step two, and they know what's to come with step three. And then you want to have a call to action that makes sense and it is connected as much as possible to the topic of the interview. When guests are asked, okay, where can people find you? They tend to share one, two, five, ten different next steps. I'm over here, I'm over there, I have my book there, I'm on X slash Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. You can't expect people to remember all of that because most people do something else while listening to podcasts, walking the dog, cooking, exercising, driving. So you want to share something that it's easy for them to remember. And as I said, you want that to be as connected to the topic of the conversation as possible. So if you do that, you're going to start to see an increase in terms of the leads you generate from the interviews you do as a podcast guest. And by the way, if you're a host, the same principles apply. So it will work for you as well. It's something that I'm conscious of. What I do is I have everything on like bio.link forward slash podcaster. So wherever I am, or even sometimes, I mean, I'll always ask where we'll, and I'll do it now as we're finishing as well, where people can find you. But a lot of people don't. And I like, I mean, that's for my own thing. But there's times I'm on show and I'll have the name dash and my bio.link because people can find you. And it's like, I mean, like if I don't ask, where can people find you? I don't think I'm serving you for just the value that you brought. But I mean, you've obviously, you've probably experienced that. I've seen that a lot. It's happened to me a lot of times. They didn't even ask me and they don't write it in the show notes and everything. So I've just learned from that. Just put it on the thing, you know, for the ones yeah. that you think. I mean, if you do your research, you know that they will ask you and all that. But there's ones that you kind of go, not they're not actually sharing the details, but they might have a decent audience. So it's kind of just kind of watching all these little things. Yeah. And I'll let you in on a little secret. 
there's actually a strategy I use that I've actually used here and I've been, I guess, quite subtle about it because you you haven't brought it up, Roy, which is, of course, you can expect nine out of 10 podcasters to ask you, okay, where can people find you and so forth? But what you can do is you can think about what is it that you're going to cover and you can think about, okay, do I have something that makes sense for that? For example, a few minutes ago, we were talking about lead generation. And I said that some people say that you can't have predictability with organic. And I said that I disagree with that and so forth. And I mentioned one thing. I said, I actually have a calculator that you can put in the numbers, blah, blah, blah. That's actually not something secret. It's not something that I'm using only for myself. It's something that is available to, to everybody. So by saying that, I hinted to the fact that there is something that I have that can help you as a next step. So if somebody here is curious to see, okay, based on my average deal size, what is the number of clients I would need to close this quarter? How many conversations I would need to have and so forth? They can actually get that if they go to yanilunga.com for slash leads. So that's Y-A-N-N-I-L-U-N-G-A. So yanilunga.com for slash leads. L-E-A-D-S, yanilunga.com for slash leads, you're going to find a link where you can access the calculator. And on the page, there is also a little extra because if you want to actually generate more leads and you're looking for an actual way to do that organically, I also have a free course called Seven Days to More Leads and you'll find it on the same page. So whether you're starting out and you're looking for strategies you can tap into or you have a clear strategy, but you want to really nail down your numbers, on that page, you're going to find some resources that can help make your lead generation work better for your business. And I don't, I hope everybody understands what you've just done. Cause basically sometimes people might go, yeah, I'll check out the website or whatever. But when you mention the calculator and the resources, they'll go, oh, that's, that's great. And which in turn is a lead then, which in turn, sometimes people feel I got great value from this and then realize your skill set and everything. And then which in turn could lead to a client. And now there's very few people do that. I mean, I've interviewed, I've, I've not, I've 1200 interviews kind of done. <laughs> so maybe five. So that just shows how little people kind of do what you've just done, which is fantastic. So they should heed what you've just done. So thank you very much, Jen. And uh, yeah, let's keep in contact. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. No problem. So, as off to Speaking Podcast, you'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. Until next week, take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, and share with your friends. And you'll find all my shows with the QR code or bio.link forward slash podcaster, as well as my podcast coaching. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, danielpacker.com, helping people with anxiety, stress, and addictions. He's got a 90% success rate, and you only pay if you're successful. Also, if you'd like to go on a podcasting tour, I can help you do that. And if you're interested in sponsorship, you can contact me on my bio.link forward slash podcaster. Until next week, take care.